Hello, everybody, and welcome. It is Friday, November the 24th, episode 56 here, Shape of Tomorrow podcast. I am your host, Michael Iani Polarchio, and I am so happy to have you joining me. I have had a good week. I've had a bit of a cold that I've been struggling with, and so you may hear a bit of a rasp, a bit of a husky voice, but that doesn't stop us here on the podcast. And today, I'm so excited here on episode 56 to talk about artificial intelligence, functional things that are emerging, corporate dramas that are emerging. I want to link this to your leadership. I want to link this to what you are doing in your own organizations and what these things mean for you as a leader to think about and things to look out for in your own organization. So we're going to talk about that. Also going to talk a little bit about virtual reality. There's been some interesting uh, announcements or developments that have happened this week, particularly with uh, Microsoft. So I thought I would introduce that here into the podcast and then we'll see whatever else uh, might find its way into our discussion. So thank you. Thank you again for joining. If you're joining for the first time, here on Shape of Tomorrow podcast. A little bit about myself. I am a longtime um, technologist, computer science background. I've spent a long career in the area of strategy, both technical strategies, technology strategies, but also business strategies. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. I love, love, love innovation, design thinking, all these kinds of things in my toolkit. And I've been a longtime podcaster. So if you're joining me for the first time, thank you for listening in here on Shape of Tomorrow podcast, where we really focus on what is the shape of tomorrow? How is technology influencing and reshaping our future? So without further ado, let's just jump right into the topics of today. Buckle up, everyone. Here we go. I said in our last episode that I hadn't managed to get to the tech tool tip of the week. So I'm going to actually really kick off the segment this week with that. And that's looking at ChatGPT. Uh, You might be thinking, we've talked about this before. Indeed, we have. Um, And indeed, we will continue to talk about these types of uh, technologies. Why? Because they are evolving at a very, very rapid pace. And so what I wanted to offer you as sort of that tech tool insight um, is what's new in ChatGPT. There have really been some significant, significant advancements. And I've touched on on some of this in previous episodes. I want to do a bit of a consolidation of of things that are new in uh, the platform. So the first thing, uh, the interface has changed. It's becoming more refined when you go to it in your web browser. I would say as well that the um, mobile phone application has become more robust. And I want to speak a little bit about a very unique usage that I've, inco- I've uncovered um, uh, for myself uh, in using and interacting with ChatGPT uh, with the mobile phone. But we'll save that for sort of the end part of this segment. So uh, the service itself, the interface on the web is becoming uh, more refined. It's cleaner. Um, the history on the left-hand side is... Um, uh, organized, I think, uh, uh, a lot more uh, nicely. 
the ability to hide side panels has, has become uh, very nice. So the interface itself has been great. One of the things that you're able to see in the interface as well, in the top right-hand corner, is this little up arrow, which, uh, you know, it looks like something that's sort of indicating you can share, and you can indeed share. So when you click on that, it, it gives you um, a little pop-up box that says share link to this chat. And what it says here is messages you send after creating your link won't be shared. So what this is doing is it's giving a snapshot in time conversation or outputs that you've done. So let's say we were generating, we were having a, a conversation with ChatGPT where we were, I don't know, um, doing a, a, a market analysis uh, in healthcare um, and its use of machine learning for better patient outcomes. Let's say that was something I was exploring in ChatGPT. Let's say I had been spending 30 minutes going back and forth, generating various things. We know the way ChatGPT works. I now have the ability to click that share link and send that to someone who now can access that output. So that's really quite uh, lovely. Uh, if I continue to work on that after I've sent it, they do not see that. Um, and it also has a little thing, any personalized data not present in the conversation won't be shared with viewers. So this is like custom instructions, things I've put in specifically about myself, um, that the tool frames its responses uh, around, uh, don't get shared. That remains with me. But the nice thing here is the ability to more um, seamlessly share content, which is important. We collaborate with others. So nice feature. The second thing is we talked about how ChatGPT was becoming truly multimodal, meaning many ways, mo many modes of, of interaction or ways to interface with it. Remember, when it came on the scene, it was purely text-based. You type a query in, it gives you a response. You ask it to create something, it gives you a text-based response. They... A short while back introduced some some features where you could you could from a little drop down you were able to kind of toggle between modes so you could say I want to be talking in this particular instance just via text then you could go to another one uh, another drop down where you said now I'm going to be uploading a file like a photograph for instance let's say a photograph of a whiteboard and then you say please summarize the brainstorming session notes from this upload and it would go off and do that. So you can see that text is one mode, uploading a photo is a different mode, a second mode. They had a advanced data analytics mode. So you could again choose from a drop-down list, move into the data and analytics mode, upload uh, an Excel sheet, and then ask ChatGPT to do something with that sheet. Use the information in that sheet to work with you. A major change that's, that's emerged is all of this multimodal functionality that you had to sort of, you know, say, okay, I'm in text now, and then the next time you go and you say, now I'm in this, it's gone away in terms of having to select different modes. When you interact with ChatGPT now, I could be saying, write me a, a, a description of an upcoming artificial intelligence in insurance expo that I'm going to be hosting based on these things, and it would write that for me. And then my very next query could be, design the logo for the invitation for this event. 
And without me having to shift modes, it automatically taps into the image generation mode. And so the multimodal is collapsing into the tool becoming intuitive enough to know which mode it should be leveraging. So that is a really, really great functional addition because it means as a user, you don't have to be sort of selecting what you'd like to do. The tool knows intuitively what it is that you want to do. Now, the other thing that the tool has gotten good at sort of intuitively knowing when to do this is to actively go out and get content from the web. So let me give you an example. So I've uh, here, just as a, uh, a test, I've said, um, outline an approach to creating an innovative school timetable. So a very simple um, type of request into ChatGPT. Um, it comes up here and it, it's given me a lovely outline. The content here doesn't really matter, but it starts off by saying, you know, there's a needs assessment, an objective setting. There's a bunch of things it wants me to do. Leveraging technology to carry that out. There's a bunch of things that it's saying, uh, you know, to do. Um, flexibility and personalization considerations. So it's saying, you know, look at ways for modular design, look at ways for blended learning, look at personalized learning paths. It's basically created this output as we would expect. Now, if I... Um, let me just uh, uh, type a uh, second query in here. So outline an approach to creating an innovative school timetable and reference at least two books on the subject. Um, when I hit enter on that, so the ChatGPT prompt looks like it's thinking, just like it did before. But now what's happened here um, is it's realized that if it's going to reference two books on the subject, it's now searching the web. And so while doing that, it's gone off and it's pulled. Uh, I can see that it's searching various educational sites. Um, and that's sort of thinking. There's a little purple circle as it goes off and it does some of that work. And, and now it's taken that output and it is blending it into the, outli uh, the, the outline task. So again, it's starting off with assessment and goal setting. It's got the same two steps that it did before, stakeholder analysis and objective definition. But now it's got a little picture of books and it says reference. And it's giving me a book reference. There's one called The Together Teacher, Plan Ahead and Get Organized and Save Time. And it's got the, the author and it basically has a little description of the book itself. And so what it's done is it's gone and pulled uh, through a, a search, it's gone and pulled this information. So again, this was something that um, we saw being implemented by search engines. So Google's been, been doing this with BARD and uh, Microsoft Bing has been doing this. But what you can see here is I don't have to go into that sort of mode where I'm like, okay, now I need you to go do something where you're getting information off the web. The first time I made the query, it just generated content based on its large language model. The second time I generated the query with some very specifics, it knew enough to go out and search the web, find some content, bring that into its repository, and then build its output for me. So again, a really nice addition, and, and you're seeing this integration and this consolidation of um, the, um, the ways this functionality is coming together. The other thing you're able to do is, you know, 
we have for a, some while been able to upload a photo, for instance, so like I gave that example, I upload a photo of a whiteboard and I say, you know, do something with that. And we've had the ability to generate images, you know, I could say, again, create me a, um, a graphic for, you know, AI summit and uh, AI summit in healthcare, and it, it would create that for me, it's integrated Dolly. What you can do now, though, is you can also upload a photograph and ask it to act on that and regenerate. So for instance, I had some photos, I'd been taking some photos in and around the city. And I, I did a test where I said, take this photo. Uh, it was of a scene of a, uh, of a park. And I said, um, give me a version of this photo in January. And so what it does is it takes that photo and it recreates it. There were odd little differences, odd little changes that happened. But by and large, it was the same photo in theory, except set in winter. So there was snow on the trees and snow on benches and it, it was a winter scene of the photo I had taken. And so again, very, very powerful integration of um, these functional pieces that are in ChatGPT. The last piece that I think is incredibly important to, to highlight here as a functional thing is to be able to now create your own personalized Mm, call them personas or types of GPT. So for instance, you now have the ability when you are in ChatGPT, uh, there's a little button that says explore. When I click on it, it gives you various types of GPTs. Uh, the negotiator, creative writing coach, tech support advisor. Um, and then you can create your own um, uh, GPT. So for instance, uh, if you click on create a GPT, it says create a customized version. So it says, hi, I'll help you build a new GPT. You can say something like make a creative who helps generate visuals for new products or make a software engineer who helps format my code. And then it says, what would you like to make? And there's a, there's a, uh, a prompt beneath where you can type in what you want. So I could type anything in here that is the beginning of my personalized GPT. So I could say, create a grade 7-8 teacher that specializes in social emotional learning for students of this age group. And it will now take the broad ChatGPT platform and focus it on that. And then you can continue to configure it. Make sure that this GPT um, has an IB focus, international baccalaureate focus, for instance. And you continue to create these parameters. And when you're done, you save it. You give it a name. And now it can be deployed. You can give access to this GPT. Either you use it yourself or you can give it access to other users. So for instance, it could be the type of thing that once it's been created, you provide as a virtual aid to students in grades 7 and 8. And the nice thing is now if they sit there and they say, hey, I have this homework problem, we could have specified in the GPT when asked for solutions to problems, don't give the answer, but simply provide guiding questions so that students can, can learn to get to the answer. Let's say we had, we had configured that as part of our GPT. When you roll that out to a group of students that say, here's the problem I'm trying to solve, 
my teacher's given me? What's the answer? The GPT won't give them the answer. The GPT that's been designed as an IB 7 and 8 social emotional learning focused um, GPT will guide the student through it, perhaps build in elements of social emotional learning as they go through the problem solving, you know, things on resiliency, things on, on resourcefulness, whatnot. And this can be created for any function, any industry area, anything you can imagine. You could create this for healthcare. You could create this in the insurance industry. You could create this personal GPTs for yourself. You could create all kinds of very tightly focused, tightly tuned GPTs. And this is now available in ChatGPT if you have the paid version. It's extraordinary. And those are the tech tool tips of the week. It's what I wanted to talk about last week. The podcast was going on a little long, so I thought I would kick off this week's and really encourage you. If, you, if you've looked at OpenAI, but now it's been a number of months and you haven't been using it, I really urge you to step back in and take a look at these tools. Now, speaking of OpenAI, let's talk about the organization itself right after this brief break. Well, things move fast in technology, and we, we know that. We've talked about that many times. But who could have predicted how fast a corporate drama, there's nothing, no other word I think that could be used besides drama, that unfolded before our eyes last week um, on Friday, so a week ago, the founder and CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, was, let's say, unceremoniously dumped. He was fired. He was pushed out of his own company by the board. And when I talk about accelerated you know, events, uh, in the span of, of 48 to 72 hours, you know, he went from being fired, um, massive, massive backlash happening from investors like Microsoft, who've put in an enormous amount, massive, massive backla- uh, backlash from employees, uh, over 500 uh, employees ended up signing a letter that they were going to resign. Um, key top leaders resigning. Microsoft then announcing that they were hiring Sam Altman, um, which was then giving um, additional steam and momentum to this group of people um, who were planning to leave with um, Sam Altman. And then we arrive at the top of the week and... The board has been dissolved. Sam Altman is you know, back at OpenAI with an interim board whose goal is to create a, a new permanent board. So in a sense, the board that fired the founder was in turn fired. Uh, the founder has returned and um, is creating a new board. And so <laughs> suffice it to say, you know, Yes, founders and CEOs get pushed out of their own companies. It happens. I think the most famous one that we are all aware of is Steve Jobs being pushed out of Apple um, and then, you know, returning a decade later. Uh, and, and you can see just how quickly uh, this is in comparison. And what I wanted to talk about is you know, that's the event in a nutshell. And there's lots of stuff online as to, you know, um, how this happened, there was 
disagreements and and around uh, the pace that they were moving at. Uh, but at the end of the day, it you know it boils down to um, internal power grabs. It it boils down to um, people jockeying for their own position and their own agenda, and and that's what happens inside corporations. Uh, at times, um, these types of dynamics do evolve. What I want to focus on here, and I've been doing some writing on this, um, and it's it's really the decisions that can be made, regardless of why they're being made. I don't want to sort of get into the speculation and the dynamics of why these decisions were made. What I want to highlight is when decisions like this are made, how easily it is to erode and destroy organizational value. This is something we've talked about before here on the podcast. That as leaders, when we make decisions, this is why decisions matter. They're so important to think about strategically through the lens of strategy. How do we make decisions that allow us to continue to build on organizational value and not erode, or in this case, nearly destroyed OpenAI. And again, OpenAI is the leader in artificial intelligence right now, generative artificial intelligence. And every decision that leaders should be making should be building upon that value, capitalizing on the momentum. And we see here that, you know, decisions being made by, I think, an uninformed board really resulted in the erosion of value very, very quickly. You lose your visionary founder. Then what follows is other very senior leaders, call them second-in-commands or however you want to sort of position the structure, but those people leave. So now you've not only lost visionary leadership, but you've lost that ability to start to execute. But you can see how those things percolate down into an organization. And in most organizations, this erosion, this, this loss of cohesion happens slowly by comparison. So it happens quickly. So don't fool yourself that it doesn't happen. But it, it, I think the open AI example is showing us just how it happens. Like we saw it in an accelerated fashion. You lose the visionary, you start to lose those leaders that really have that ability to operationalize strategy, and suddenly you have 500 out of 700 employees, right? So just to put that number of 500 employees into context, you're talking about, you know, over half of the company getting ready to jump ship. And you're basically then left with a shell of what you were before. The misstep allows other organizations. So we already saw Anthropic, for instance, which is an artificial uh, generative AI company coming out of Europe. Uh, They've got um, a platform called Clode, 
And, and this was an opportunity for them. While their lead competitor stumbled, they try and move quickly to introduce some features into the marketplace, present stability. And, and this is why it's important to pause and think as leaders in this time of innovation. Right? Even the most innovative organizations like OpenAI, or if we look at Apple so long, long ago, they are not immune to these types of uh, um, dynamics, okay? And as leaders, we don't want to become paralyzed in our decision-making, but we want to make sure that when we are making these decisions, that we have that eye to building the future, to understanding how our decisions impact the tomorrow of our organization. It's incredibly, incredibly important. You know, when you look at, at what OpenAI is doing with ChatGPT, it's much, much more than just a chatbot. Right? The features that I, I spoke about in the segment prior show us that this is evolving. It's becoming an assistant. It's becoming a co-creator. It's becoming a, a problem solver. As it evolves, its ability to understand context, uh, remember previous interactions, uh, introduce that multimodal way of, of working with us, the feature set is increasing. The value to its users and to society uh, uh, continues to, to increase in value. And what's important is as, as leaders make strategic decisions, especially deciding, you know, it's a pretty major decision to decide to push your founder out, to push the head of your organization out. You've got to really understand, is this in the best interest of our organization long term? And again, it's happened before. As I mentioned, Steve Jobs was pushed out of Apple. Uh, he went off and did lots of things, which I think made him an even greater uh, innovator and, and leader of organizations. He went and started Next Computer Company. He ended up taking the helm of Pixar and transforming that animation company. So it worked, and then he returned to Apple. But when we look at the shape of tomorrow for organizations, the difference is just how fast things can unravel. When Steve Jobs was pushed out of Apple, it took years. That erosion began immediately. A board that was, again, uninformed, pushed Steve Jobs out, forced his hand. They started to introduce so many products to the market, so many directions that they were running in. They became unfocused. They stopped making choices. They tried to be many things to many different types of customers, and they lost their way over a number of years. Well, the shape of tomorrow for organizations, those dynamics continue, but what's changed is just how fast. Where in Apple's case, that erosion of value took years, 
in OpenAI's case, that erosion of value was happening in hours. We measure it in, in days and hours how quickly value was eroded. If they had not brought Sam Altman back, I think within a few weeks, we would have already seen a real shift in the market. And we would have seen other players start to emerge and, and, and step into that role. They would have seen that opportunity. And, and I think Sam Altman, if he had stayed with Microsoft when they brought him on within sort of 24 hours of his firing, he'd have gone off and created something that would have been an incredible threat to OpenAI. So this is important because pause and think of your own organization, especially if you're in a leadership role. You may not think that the organizational value that you've built up over 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, however long your organization has been in business. Tomorrow's world looks really different. And so what can I offer as action? What can I offer as things to think about? When you make decisions as a leader, make sure you're always looking through the lens of strategy. Of course, the other lenses of your organization are important. You know, the culture you're building, the values that you have, these are important pieces. Without them, strategy can't succeed. And we've talked about that here on The Shape of Tomorrow many times. But when you're making decisions, whether it's the introduction of new services, whether it's it's a reorganization, whether it's the acquisition of additional companies, whether it's the deployment of new technologies, whether it's change in leadership. Make sure you're looking at it through the lens of strategy. Secondly, if you have a board that you interact with, if you're a private company, you likely don't have a, a, a board. Or depending on your leadership role within your own organization, you might not be the one to deal with your board. But if you are one of those leaders inside your organization that works directly with the board, what's incredibly important is to educate, educate, educate. Okay, board members have a much shallower depth of knowledge of your organization. Because they come from other organizations. We, we, we put members onto a board, or there are members that are parts of boards, who bring deep expertise from often other industry areas. Uh, th there's real value that they bring. But always remember that they aren't as immersed in the work you do and the work that your organization does. And so what's super important is to educate, educate, educate as best as you can, as often as you can. Come up with some innovative ways to do this in a more on-demand way for your board members. The other thing I would say is communicate, communicate, communicate. So you want to keep those lines of communication in terms of where you're going, why you're going where you're going. Make sure your board fully, deeply understands your strategy, 
and how you're operationalizing your strategy. That way, when it comes to making decisions, they are best equipped to be able to do that. And I think with a combination of education and a combination of communication, you can develop a really healthy relationship with your board so that they can make really good, informed decisions that are through the lens of strategy, that are in the best interest of the organization and that ultimately don't erode organizational value. Because it takes time to build that value. We talked about this in a past episode. It doesn't take a lot of time for that value to be eroded. And then once that's happened, if you're able to recover, it takes a long time to rebuild that value in the eyes of your customers, in the eyes of the market, in the eyes of your employees. It's just, it's all very highly, highly connected. Very interesting. It'll be interesting to see sort of where everything lands going forward. Um, I think the organization itself, there's some trust rebuilding that will need to happen, both internally to OpenAI um, and also external with its customers. People start to, to think about, um, you know, what almost happened. A lot of us are building products using the OpenAI platform. Many of us are integrating it into our daily workflows. And then suddenly, this tool of high value had the risk of becoming irrelevant. And once what you offer to the market, whether it's a product, something you make, something you sell, whether it's a service you provide, once it becomes irrelevant in the eyes of your customer or becomes something that you cannot depend on or becomes something that is not providing the same level of value as before, you will see an erosion of your market share. Your customers will leave you. Your customers will choose something else. And this is an important reality as we think about what does tomorrow look like for institutions. The expectations of our customers can and will change at a pace that is far more rapid than we've ever seen at any point in history. Disruption is a constant companion along the journey of what we deliver from our organizations to our customers, both current customers and future customers. So always keep that in mind. Let's take a short break. going to shift away now from artificial intelligence and look at another area that had a lot of momentum and enthusiasm and let's even use the word hype behind it, which is virtual reality, augmented reality. Remember the terms like the metaverse, these virtual worlds that we would be interacting in. And I believe that this is still an incredibly important area of emergent technology. I think it's an area that organizations should continue to experiment and understand what's happening in this particular space. It might not have all of the momentum and all of our collective mind share like artificial intelligence does, but I believe that it is continuing to evolve and it is continuing to find its footing 
and that it still will play a very important role in the shape of tomorrow for organizations and individuals. And what I wanted to talk about was uh, an element that came out of a recent um, event that Microsoft held where they talked about their work in this area. They have had for a very long time a platform called Microsoft Mesh. And the Mesh environment was really meant to create a platform, an environment and a platform where virtual collaboration and virtual experiences could take place. You put a headset on and you enter into this, this mesh environment, this, this virtual environment. Meta, again, formerly Facebook, continues as well to develop their virtual um, offering, their, their version of the metaverse. So there are many groups that are working on this. And Microsoft has been pushing this forward. But they've done something interesting that was announced. And this is why I wanted to talk about it. Because they have, I think, kind of looked at the current state of things, especially from a hardware perspective. Remember, to enter these virtualized worlds, we have to put a headset on. And that makes it very immersive, but it also brings challenges. Remember, headsets as well come with cost. And Microsoft has now taken elements of their mesh platform and merged it with another technology platform of theirs, which is Microsoft Teams. So you'll remember that during the pandemic, when the whole world was doing, you know, work online, whether you were a school and you were teaching virtually or whether you were, you know, a company, um, everyone was working online. And there's, there's a number of players. Of course, Zoom, large uh, player, uh, it's a platform that we ended up using. Um, but there's Microsoft's offering, which was Teams. Uh, Google has their own offering, which is Meet. So there's lots of these, these basically, you know, video virtual conferencing um, uh, tools that we've all used. And so what they've done now in Teams is to integrate the um, mesh platform and, and the functionality, um, taking the mixed reality services and building them into Teams as a functional, uh, um, as functionality that's available. This is a really big shift. Okay, so this might sound like, okay, great. They integrated their, their kind of immersive, their immersive virtual reality with their, their video conferencing online meeting tool. But Microsoft Mesh being integrated into Teams, which will allow coworkers, you can still have the video calls like we're used to in, in Teams or Zoom, but now coworkers will have this ability to meet together in a virtual space without a headset. And so that's the first important shift. A barrier to entry into using this type of technology has been the headsets. They're still evolving. It's still a technology that's needing to kind of catch up with the vision of how this will all work. It's expensive, right? These headsets can range from three to $500 to you know look at the one that Apple's introducing, the Vision Pro. Uh, will be a $3,000 headset. And so Microsoft has, has integrated this into Teams, which is something that we use on our laptops, 
on our, on our tablets, whether it's an iPad tablet or whether it's an Android tablet, or we use on our phones. So that's a big shift to move to a model where you can step into a virtual space without the use of a headset. It's a really, really big shift for the vision that Microsoft had for Mesh. And I'm not saying that they're abandoning that vision. I think this is a stepping stone to a tomorrow when this vision emerges, but they're not waiting for that um, tomorrow. They're stepping into it strategically today. Mesh, uh, which is a platform, it's built on top of some other services that they, that they have. Um, they want people developing things in that platform. And this is a way to start to accelerate that. The Mesh platform will continue to exist as a separate platform for now. They haven't indicated that it's going away. But heading into Teams, this meaningful shift, because Teams is so widely uh, deployed, it's, it's so widely used, it's so widely available, that you now have a much bigger audience for developers to say, hmm, I've been holding off on, on really stepping into developing things for the Mesh platform because there's only so many users. Suddenly it's blown wide open and becomes very easily accessible to everyone in the workplace that people will now start to create applications and think about um, what they could deliver through this channel. That in turn will bring functionality to us as users. That in turn allows developers to learn things. And for Microsoft, what that does is it allows them to continue to move forward in this space as they wait for VR headset technology to catch up. You can even see a world where what they build could be accessible on multiple types of headsets. They don't even need to worry about headsets itself. Microsoft has done a very interesting thing this week where their Windows platform, think of Windows if you're using a Windows laptop, you know, running Microsoft Windows. They have now created an app that they've deployed that I can basically tap that app on my iPad and an instance of Windows, a virtualized computer just pops up. And so you can see that Microsoft is looking at a, at, at a world, they're looking at a tomorrow where devices are highly interchangeable. They don't want to be stuck on single types of platforms. They're really looking for ways to just be pervasive. That is the shape of tomorrow for computing in this vision. And so integrating the virtual reality paradigm into the meeting tool, Microsoft Teams, allows them to continue to experiment, uh, roll out sets of functionality, and prepare for that future. We've talked a lot about this before, that you may be looking at any particular technology in your organization and say, it's not really doing what we need it to do, and so you, you push it off. And if you do that too often, by the time it really becomes mainstream and you've got, I don't know, somebody doing something amazing and it's disrupting your industry, it's disrupting your business, you will not be able to move fast enough to catch up. 
And this is, I think, an interesting strategy that Microsoft is taking. You, you can see them taking these continued steps, taking the elements of the mesh network, building it into Microsoft Teams, giving now this very immersive experience in Teams that lets you feel like you're part of a meeting in a way that's different than just the video kind of, you know, think of the Brady Bunch uh, paradigm of our Zoom calls or our team calls. It's very, very, very interesting. And it's allowing them to compete head on with others in this space, like Meta's, um, what's the name of their service, Horizon uh, Workrooms. They get to continue to take steps. They continue to prepare for what tomorrow will bring to their organization. And they won't find themselves in a situation where they, they suddenly become disrupted. So it's a very, very interesting development. I thought I would throw that out here to the listening audience. Because in your own organizations, you may be using Teams. Um, and you probably see this functionality start to uh, become available. And you should experiment with it. You as an organization should start to understand how that can transform the way you work, the way you collaborate, um, the way you structure your organization. Uh, our, Our communication and interactions will continue to change. You know, the pandemic pushed many people to home. The pandemic ended and there's been a lot of hybrid work situations. There's been a big push on return to office, right? So that pendulum is sort of swinging. But don't be fooled. These online tools for collaboration are not um, going to retreat. It has forever changed the way we work. And looking at what Microsoft is doing, the way they're investing in Microsoft Teams is a good indicator to you as a listener to this podcast and a member of your own organization that it will continue to reshape the way you work tomorrow. As we draw today's episode of Shape of Tomorrow to a close, I'd like to take a moment just to pause and think about all the things we've talked about today. We delved into the fascinating advancements that are happening in artificial intelligence with our focus on all of the remarkable strides that ChatGPT has introduced and made. It's really, when I reflect on it, it's an evolution that not only marks a milestone sort of in the technology, you know, sort of say, oh, they've hit this particular milestone and introduced this functionality. I think it's it's beginning to pose some very intriguing questions about the future of human and AI collaboration and interaction. We also explored the leadership of Sam Altman um, and all the things that happened there and really underscored the importance of astute leadership and strategic board decisions in steering innovative companies like OpenAI towards uncharted territories. And we talked about Microsoft Mesh Network, which in our last segment, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, This whole emerging, continuing to evolve realm of virtual reality and what Microsoft has done really highlights how these technologies are not 
just reshaping our digital interactions, but they're really gonna redefine the way we work. Okay, the potential for immersive experiences and remote connectivity in new ways really opens up new avenues for collaboration, for whatever it is we do, education, entertainment, um, product development, all of these things. And, and so these three topics that we've chatted about has really been my pleasure. You know, as leaders, as innovators, whatever your role is within your organization, always, always, always remember that we stand at the forefront of these groundbreaking developments, right? They're, they're, it's up to us to make sense of them, put them in context to our own organizations. It's our responsibility to navigate the changes thoughtfully and, and really make sure that we are approaching these advancements as ways that lead to a more connected, um, humane world, um, efficient, innovative, whatever the goals are that you know, you, you're, you're setting for yourself and your organization. So thanks again for joining me on this ongoing journey. Let's continue to shape tomorrow with our ideas, uh, our actions, um, and, and our discussions. And until the next time when we meet, I will say keep innovating, uh, stay curious, always remember that the future is ours to create. And as always, I am Michael Ianni Polarchio, your host, signing off from Shape of Tomorrow, wishing you all a fantastic day ahead that I hope is filled with inspiration and groundbreaking ideas. And until the next time we connect, let me simply say, ciao.